hungered and sought his righteousness. That's what we just sang. What a fun song that is. Thank you, brother. Well, Parker and I are glad to be back with you. Uh, we've been at Southside Lectures. Parker has, uh, uh, he, he developed this. This is his plan. This was his vacation. To us, this was Disney World is what it was. That We got to go, and he paid for it, so I might as well go ahead. Um, he said that I said we'd go halfies on it, but I, I don't remember that part, but we'll, we'll settle that later. But it was such a wonderful time, 19 sermons in five days, three and a half hours of singing, uh, countless hours of fellowship. If you just went into heaven and you carved out a little section and you brought it to earth, I got to, we got to live there for five or six days, and it was just delightful. If you ever have the opportunity to be in a situation where on a day-to-day basis, one after another, you're just saturated with God's Word and God's worship and God's singing, I can tell you, it changes the way you think. It forms your mind in a different way. And I'd sure encourage you to be a part of it. Of course, we have that opportunity when we have our gospel meetings here, and I just encourage you to take every advantage you can of that that we do here at Castleberry. You know, back in January, our shepherds introduced the objective of our year was that we want to grow in Christ. Jesus warned that the fact is, is that the faith of many will grow cold, he said, and we determined not to be those people because we understand that spiritual stagnation can happen so subtly We don't see it happen, but before long we have pulled over and found ourselves a spiritual parking spot and we stop and we quit growing forward. And so this year we have determined to wake up, to stop the slump, and to purpose to grow in Christ. And so we began the year by looking at the necessity for growth. The goal of our growth is to look like Jesus and the benefits of our growth. We did a series of studies on the fruit of the Spirit, which was all about growing in the ways of the Spirit. We, in the spring, put a spotlight on growing in our faith, those fundamentals of our belief that there is a God, that He has given us His Word That Jesus is His Son that died upon the cross and was raised from the dead. And we grew in our confidence, our trust, and our belief in those things. In fact, so far this year, we have devoted over 30 sermons to growing in Christ. And I hope that it has helped us do that. In addition, our Bible classes have been chosen to emphasize that theme as well. This quarter... We have looked at how God grew His people in the land of Canaan in the book of Joshua. Peter, we looked at in room 7, how he taught believers to grow in Christ in his second letter in chapter 1. This next quarter, we're going to see about how God grew His nation in the book of Exodus. And we're going to look at how Jesus grew Peter's faith from being Peter to being a rock who had deep and infectious faith upon the world. Because we have come to believe that if you are not growing, you're dying. 
And therefore, we have determined to grow in Christ. As Paul put it, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But here's the problem. When it comes to this goal this year of growing in Christ, there is this temptation for us, I think, to relegate it to a part of our life. Maybe you do things like this, like I've got a family goal, or I've got a work goal, or I've got a fun goal, something I'm wanting to do that's fun, and I've got some church goals. And this year, my church goal is to grow like Christ. But he's just one of the goals that I've got. I want to suggest to you this morning that if you and I grow into the character of Christ, His character cannot be isolated to one area. He cannot simply, we cannot simply grow in Christ here. But growing in Christ is something that we do everywhere. And so in this lesson, I want us to think about how we can take Christ out of the pews and into our lives to let Jesus really be the reason for our relationships and the motivation for our activities. I think the Apostle Paul captured this concept in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. By the way, Colossians chapter 3 is where he talks about work life, family life, church life, your place as a citizen in the world. And right in the middle of that section, here's the motivation. Listen. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Notice the words, please, with me. Whatever you do in everything. He's talking here about a general principle. What is this general principle? The name of Jesus be your purpose in every relationship and in every activity, and do it in such a way that whatever you say or do, you can give thanks to God the Father for doing it. So in other words, Jesus is the motivation of all that we do in life, and we do it with giving God the thanks for the opportunity of doing it. So I've called our lesson today, Take Jesus Everywhere. Why don't we grow in Christ everywhere? So let me think with you about what that means. To take Jesus out of the pew and into our lives. First of all, the Bible teaches that Christ should live in me and you in our homes. And let's face it, that's harder than it is than we realize. Because the fact is is that husbands can sometimes be frustrating. I don't know, we don't have that problem in our home. But perhaps you have a problem where husbands can be frustrating sometimes. And perhaps uh, wives can be exasperating. And sometimes children can be tiresome. And if we, in our homes, invest ourselves in one one another only when that other person deserves it and only when I feel like it, our homes are going to be weak and divided. And what the Bible advises is that we take Jesus in our homes. We have a greater motivation for living in our home life than just our own comfort. 
But we want to reflect Jesus in our home. For example, men, listen to this. Uh, turn, open your Bibles with me. I wanted just to open our Bibles together today. You got your Bibles? Let's look at Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 5. And men, put this verse before you. Let it filter through your mind. It says in verse 23 that husband, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself, its Savior. Verse 25, husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, the world is full of men who do not take the role that God has given them in the family. They hurt their family through self-centeredness. But what Paul is saying is that, men, when we go into our homes, our model is not our fathers. Our model is not somebody at church we thought did a really good job. They can be. But our primary model is to look at Jesus. How did Jesus act toward the church? Now, you act that way towards your wife. Now, that will challenge you. Because what did Christ do for the church? He gave Himself up for her. When? When she was beautiful and deserved it and sweet? No. When we were not paying any attention and we were going in our own ways and yet He loved us and sacrificed Himself for us. You want to have a better marriage? You want to have a Christ-centered marriage? Love your wife like that. And then notice the purpose of this kind of sacrificial love. What is it about? It's so that the church might be holy and without blemish and that He might present it to Himself as a... What is it called here? A... Sanctify her, that he might present himself. Splendor is the word I'm looking at there in verse 27. Present it to himself in splendor, this version says. In other words, men, the role you have in your marriage is to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. To sacrificially give yourself for her so that, notice this, she can reach her spiritual potential. So she can be holy and without blemish. So that she can be eternally, I can't get this word in my head. Where is it at, Jennings? It's right there. Splendor. That's my my son helped me out there. Splendor. I'm remembering it in the old New King James is what I'm doing. But the idea is, men, that when you bring Christ into your home, your goal is to help your wife be and reach her spiritual Potential to where she ends up looking beautiful spiritually and in her character. That's what it means to have Christ living in you. Let's see if I can not mess up ladies. Uh, Well, I keep clicking. Let me see if I can not mess up ladies. Look at ladies in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Colossians 3 and verse 18. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Notice the motivation. 
the Lord's living in your home, and there's your husband, and he is not always worthy of your support, but you support him. Why? Because it's what pleases the Lord. It's like taking Jesus into your home. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, ladies. And notice that the, the Bible says that the most powerful effect that you can have on your husbands does not come through your looks, but through your character, through your respectful and pure conduct of life, you can actually bring your husbands closer to the Lord. Notice this in chapter 3 and verse 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting off of gold jewel, putting on of gold jewelry or clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Women, I've got good news for you. You don't have to be caught up in all of the unattainable standards of cultural beauty. All those shoes, all those dresses, all that makeup, all that may have its place, okay? But here he's saying that the most powerful effect that you can have on your husband is to develop a godly character. And in the way that you model that godly character before him, he actually grows closer to Christ. Do you see what marriage is about, by the way? Husbands, it's about you loving your wives so that they become to look more like Jesus. They become holy and without blemish. They reach their spiritual potential. And wives, your role in the home is to have such a godly character within you that it is a model to your husband that he grows closer to the Lord. That's taking Christ into our homes. But not only is Christ to live in husbands and wives, Christ is to live in children as well. Christ is the motivation for children in the home. Colossians 3, look with me, young people. Colossians chapter 3, I am in verse 20. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Excuse me, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. You see how the Lord is in your life? Obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now, when your parents want to say something to you, it's not always fun, is it? They are interrupting the things that you want to do. But when you listen to them and they're trying to lead you in the ways of the Lord, it is good for you to obey them because they're helping you walk in the ways of the Lord. And the reason you listen to their advice and the reason you follow their advice is not just because it's good for you, though it is. And not just because it makes mom and dad happy, because it does. But the reason you listen to them and you let that advice sink in when they're helping you walk with the Lord is because it pleases Jesus. That's why you do it. You see, that's how you bring Jesus into the home. As, it's, as long as I obey mom and dad just because it gets them off my back, or maybe it's good for me, who's still in the home? Just me, just my parents. But when I obey and I listen and I conform my life to wisdom, what I'm doing is I am letting Jesus come into my home. But then, of course, we don't just take Christ into our homes. 
as you've seen, we also get to take Jesus to work with us. In fact, when Christ lives in me, I've got a reason to get up and go to work on Monday morning. That's hard, isn't it? My dad always said, worst day of the week was Monday. The routine started all over. But when you take Christ to work with you, you've got a reason to go. Look with me in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. He says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. He could just stop there, right? But listen, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, for you are serving the Lord Christ. Did you notice all of that? Men and women, do we take Jesus to work that much with us? The believer, when he goes to work, he has a different quality of work because he's doing it for the Lord. Every day, we work as though Christ is our supervisor. We work as if Jesus is the one who is buying our product. Jesus is the one who's using our program. Jesus is the one living in the house we're building. Jesus is the one reading the sermon I'm preparing. And that changes why you work. It brings integrity into your work. When you take Jesus to work with you, you don't bend the truth. You don't tell a lie. You don't hide the cost in order to make a sale. But most importantly... When you take Jesus to work, it's much more rewarding. You don't just work for the money that you get at the end of the week. It's gone so quickly, isn't it? But listen to what Paul says. He says the reason that you work is that you're doing it for the Lord because when you work for the Lord, you receive an inheritance from Jesus that doesn't ever fade away, that doesn't get spent into oblivion. And so when I work remembering I'm doing it for the Lord, it keeps me from making work my God. I remember work's not my God, God's my God. It keeps me from making money my God because it reminds me that my true inheritance, the lasting inheritance, comes from Christ. The fact of the matter, think about it this week, God knows why we work. He knows if we work because work is our God, or if we work because He is our God. And those are two very different things. So Christ is to live in us. We are to grow in our Christ-likeness in our homes, in our workplace, and as citizens as well. The reason that we are to be productive and obedient members of our society is because we're trying to model Christ. Look at what Peter said about this in 1 Peter 2. I'm in 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. The reason we live properly in society is not because we like the people who are in charge. It's because we know the one who is in charge of it all. So 2. 1 Peter 2 verse 13. Be subject. Why? 
for the Lord's sake, you see it, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people and live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, therefore. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, Peter who wrote this, his emperor was Nero. And he was infamous in, for his immorality and in the way that he mistreated God's people. And yet Peter doesn't say the way that you change the world is by picking up arms and taking down those who are in charge. No, that's never the case. Jesus told uh, Peter, don't pick up the sword. You pick up the sword, you, live, you think you're going to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. The way that Jesus chose to change the world is by people, through their character and through their teaching, to bring the kingdom of God ruling in individual people's lives. And that's what he calls us to do. And so as we go into this world this week, let us think about how we can shine the light of Christ in a wicked world. And there may be times in our world where where the world may ask us to violate the law of God, to go away with the laws of the land. And in those cases, we've always got to go with the law of God. But what Peter says makes the most impact on this world is when we choose, notice what he says there. He says, that when we're the ones who are really free, we're free from sin, we're free from death, but we don't use this freedom as a cover-up for evil. But when we live a quiet life, if we do good, he says in verse 15, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The reason that we live like Christ-like citizens is because we want the world to come to know Jesus and to walk with him. Are you beginning to see the pattern here? That in the home, when we take Christ into our home, it helps husbands and wives and children walk with the Lord. And when we take Christ into our workplace, it helps us walk to the Lord and with the Lord and helps other people see the Lord when we do the same thing in our, in our culture as well or our country as well. Let me pose a, a last question. What do you think? Use your mind for a minute to just imagine what would this church look like if everyone here talked like Christ and acted like Christ towards one another? What would this place look like? Because you know what? That's what it's supposed to be. We are to bring Christ into his church. In fact, this is called his body. And so we act towards one another as he would. It's called his temple in which he dwells. It is called his house in which his family resides. When Christ lives in us, it expresses itself in the church in a number of different ways. One of the ways it expresses itself, I love, is that it expresses itself in the affection that we should have for one another. Look with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And look with me at verse 8. Philippians 1 verse 8. 
Paul says, God is my witness. I'm not making this up. God knows my heart, and I say this often. God is my witness how I yearn for you with all of the affection of Christ. Do you see how he modifies that? He doesn't just say, I yearn for you guys with affection. He says, the way I think about you, the way I love you, the way I'm attracted to you is like the way that Jesus loves you and is attracted to you. The affection, Paul says, that Christ has for you is the exact same way I feel about you. Now, folks, we've got some growing to do in that area. Is Christ living in us? Are we growing in Christ? Then we ought to have that kind of affection for one another. I remember one time I was talking to a preacher who was preaching at a local church that he didn't think was worthy of him, okay? That's what it really is. So I asked him, I said, well, how are things going at X church? And he goes, oh, you know, X church, like that. And I thought, what would Jesus say about those people? Oh, I wish I had thought about it in the moment. I just said, what I wanted to say is I wonder what they say about their preacher. Oh, you know, it's X preacher. (laughs) The thing is, is God's people are not all perfect, but they all belong to Jesus. They've all been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when you, when you describe God's people, you say, what, what things like at Castleberry? They're God's people, and I love them with the affection of Jesus. That's what it means to grow in Christ. In addition, it changes the way that we serve one another. How did Jesus serve his disciples? Jesus came a long way and he gave everything he had to draw his disciples close to God. And we're to do the same. As I've said many times, God loved the church so much he gave himself up for it and he called us to do the same thing. Love the church so much we give ourselves up for it. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Colossians 1 and verse 24. Notice again how Christ is the modifier. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. Paul says, you know, I've sacrificed so much for you. I've traveled so far. I've spent so much time in prison. I've given so much for you, but I'm not even near how much Jesus was afflicted for you. And I just long to suffer that much more for you. When Christ is living in us, in the church, we have a different affliction for one another, a different sacrifice for one another. We have a different obedience to the Lord with one another. You know, we are really only letting Jesus live in us as we are listening to his word, right? If I just like you and I sacrifice for you, I'm living among us. People in the world do that. But if I do it because that's what Jesus said and that's what Jesus modeled and that's what Jesus commanded, then who's living in us? Jesus is living in us. And that's why Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that some people are going to be shocked on the day of judgment. They're going to think that they had been growing in Christ, serving His people, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we've done all of these great things in Your... Here it is name we did it for you 
And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you because you didn't listen to me. You've worked lawlessness. And so one of the best things we can do among God's people is to listen to Jesus speak to us through his word. Let that be the motivation for our sacrifice and be the way that we learn how to show affection for one another. You know, being a part of a local church can sometimes be exhausting, can't it? And it can sometimes be discouraging. It can sometimes make a preacher want to become an engineer. And it can sometimes make an elder want to leave his post. And it can sometimes make a deacon want to quit his job. And it can sometimes make families hop from one church to another church to another church trying to find something that's easier and happier. And the kingdom of heaven is worse for it. What Jesus wants us to be is right where we're at. Be models of Jesus' affection and his sacrifice and his values. And it's not easy, but that's what it looks like when Christ is living in us. And when Christ is living in us, we become devoted to God's people. We teach Bible classes with joy. We, get, we go and help on that work day because it's important to us. We check on that sick person because we love them. We pray for the weak. And we do all of that not because it's easy and not because people deserve it, but that's because that's what the church looks like when Jesus is living in it. Lydia Baxter wrote the name, take, uh, the song, Take the Name of Jesus With You. Her story is interesting, like most songwriters. <laughs> she had a lot of affliction in her life. She was bedridden most of her life. Most of her 65 years she spent in bed. And she was asked by a friend one time, do you ever get blue and discouraged? And she said, oh, I've got something for that. She said, I've got an armor, and it's the name of Jesus. And when I speak the name of Jesus, it reminds me of all who he is and all that he has done and all that he has prepared for me, and all of that discouragement can't get through. And then she wrote these words. 65 years old, four years before her death, she wrote, Take the name of Jesus, child of sorrow and of woe, it will joy and comfort give you. Take that then where'er you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him whether it's in our homes or in our workplaces, or whether it's in this country or whether it is in this church, let's be growing in Christ. He deserves it. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you'd like to become forward to become a part of Christ, the way the Bible teaches you do that is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and this is the way Peter, Paul put it in Galatians 3. When you are baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. He makes you holy and perfect and sinless, and then you begin to grow into his character.
If you need to do that this morning, we're going to invite you with the song, Come to the Front. We'd love to sing it with you, and we'd love to baptize you into the Lord Jesus Christ. But this week, let's all make that commitment. We're growing in Christ. Let's do it as we stand and sing.